not used to being up here. So anybody that knows me and anybody that knows Mallory, you know that I was never the boss of Mallory. <laughs> Ever. But she jokes around like I was. All right, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Sam. I've been at Redeemer now for roughly three years. And so you're going to have one of a few reactions to that. Either you know me, uh, either you've seen me, but you don't know me, or you've been here just as long and you've never seen me, and you're thinking, that dude ain't been here for three years. <laughs> but I assure you I have been here uh, for three years. Whatever the case is, and this is the first time I've been able to say this publicly, but I'm so incredibly grateful for my family that meets here. And like Mallory said, I get to spend some time in, in Africa, in Kenya, and I feel the prayers. You feel the support. You feel the thoughts. And just knowing that gives you the strength to get up and do whatever it is you need to do. Whether you're here or whether you're there or whether you're in Mali in Brazil, Wherever you're at, it gives you the strength to know that you have a family behind you that's praying for you and supporting you. So I thank you for that. And I'm thankful for this opportunity. Kenya is my favorite thing to talk about. I'll talk about it all day. I won't do that today, but it's my favorite thing to talk about. And I would love to talk about it with, with you uh, anytime. If you have any questions about what we talk about, just feel free to ask. Uh, today, the elder team's given me an opportunity to share some things that God has done in my life over the course of now three times that I've been specifically to Kenya. I don't consider myself a missionary, not a big fan of the word, right? We're all on mission, aren't we? We're all ministers of the word. And wherever we're at, we're all part of the body. And God's given everybody a tool. God's given everybody access to the Holy Spirit and the power that comes from that and that promise. It just looks a little bit different for me than it does for you. It doesn't make it any greater or any less because it's, we're all part of the body, right? The body of Christ. So whatever, you know, wherever you're at, hopefully this encourages you. And I pray that God will, I know he will glorify himself through this. Whatever we, in spite of me, he's going to glorify himself, right? But wherever you're at, whatever you're thinking about, I just encourage you to keep praying through it. And uh, like Carla said, don't overthink it. If you're in that stage where you're like, I'm a part of the body, but what do I do? Just don't overthink it. I thought that was great advice. I need to tell myself that every morning when I wake up, right? Don't overthink it. Uh, somebody I went to Africa with, she would always tell me, just, just make the next right step. Just take the next step. Like That's all you can do. Don't try to plan it out. Don't try to see the end. Just be faithful in the next step, and you'll get to where God wants you to go. So with all that said, that's my introduction, um, and we're going to just continue this conversation today, but I'm going to talk to you specifically about some of the work and the people that I, extraordinary people that I get to work with and be around in Africa. So to give you a, just a brief overview, I'm going to try to make this as non-missionary report-like as possible. I spent a month, a little over a month there. Uh, this is my longest trip yet. Uh, spent four weeks there over uh, June and July, so... If you're not familiar, uh, slide, I don't know how we cue that. Um, so on the left, that is Africa, which I'm sure all of you know. 
you, you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. Some conversations I have. And then uh, Kenya is obviously over there. It's in East Africa, uh, right there, Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Uganda, and Tanzania, surrounded by those. Next slide. I feel like we should have talked about that before <laughs> I got up here. So really quickly, this is the group that I, that I go with. Um, I can't say enough about this group. I'm not going to talk about the group specifically, but I wanted to make sure that I, that I got that up there so you could see, because a lot of people ask, who'd you go with, uh, what organization? That's the group. They do amazing work. In a lot of ways, very similar to Make Your Mark. Make Your Mark is very focused. I was so bummed I missed that, but I, w- I was in Africa. I wasn't too bummed, really. I wasn't bummed at all, actually. But I'm glad I got to watch it, you know, post-trip. Global connections, it's a little bit broader in the scope of what they try to maybe tackle. Make your mark very specific. It's an amazing work. I hope to go there sooner rather than later and see the work they do firsthand. Uh, This is more of a Christian humanitarian aid type organization. Does some evangelism in there as well. That's all I'm going to say about that. If you have questions, I would love to talk with you about it. I love talking about those people, what they do. Oh, it's back to that one. All right, so before we start, I just want to make very clear what my intentions are and what they are not today. My intention is not to stand up here and sound like one of the, if you remember the old uh, Sarah McLaughlin SPCA commercials, right? Where the music's playing in the background, and it's just like, you know, adopted this puppy that's been, that, that is not my, my intent is not to make you feel bad or feel guilty. My intent is not to make me feel bad or me feel guilty. I hope that you walk out of here with more questions than answers. I hope that the Spirit leads you to that place where you think, what, what on earth did he just share with me? Maybe that's where it takes you, maybe it's not. But that's, that's my prayer for you today. Uh, I'm not going to be asking you to like, donate any money or sponsor a kid or sponsor a family, nothing like that. My job here today is just to testify to you of the things that God is doing in my life, through me, on the other side of the world. And it's simply that. And hopefully it will relate to you. But that's all I'm doing today. And I'm also going to share with you some, a couple of things about some extraordinary people in Kenya. All right, John 3.16. Everybody knows it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a great verse. That's what I call a feel-good verse. I read that verse, I have no problem seeing myself in that verse. I get everything I ever wanted right there in that verse. John 3.16, I get the creator of the world. I get eternal life. I get love, which at its core, that's what we all desire. I get everything I ever want, though, right there in that verse. So when I read that verse, I can see myself in that verse. But there are other verses in Scripture I struggle to find myself there. Sometimes I don't even realize I struggle to see myself there. And one of those verses, specifically, takes place in Luke 4. And in Luke 4, Jesus shares with us what's commonly referred to as his mission statement. And it's taken from the book of Isaiah. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Now, before I read that, some of you just heard me say Isaiah 61, and your response is, awesome. Another missionary coming from a third world country, busting out Isaiah 61. Heard this. All right? Just bear, I just want you to bear with me. 
and, and let's go through it. So in Isaiah chapter 61, verse, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I stand before you right now very ashamed of what I'm going to tell you next, but when I, when I read that verse up until recently, I saw myself. Here's where I saw myself. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to dot, dot, dot. That's Sam. Evidently, I have a pretty high opinion of myself in the Lord's kingdom. Jesus fulfilled it, but that's me. Because I'm not poor. I'm not brokenhearted. I'm not a captive, and I'm not a prisoner. But through my Kenyan family, God has shown me that it's so much more than that. And that's going to be my testimony to you today. So, I promise this is, what I'm about to share is as Sarah McLaughlin-like as it's going to get. But I do want to share a couple of facts with you, because the church is global. And it's, we, we forget that sometimes. I forget that all the time. The church is global, and situations vary, country by country, city by city, town by town. But we all have the same need, deep down. But I try to keep these facts in front of me. I am one of roughly 8 billion people inhabiting the earth. I didn't choose to be born. God didn't ask me, do you want to be born? I am from one of 195 countries in the world. I didn't choose where to be born. I speak one of 6,500 languages. It's kind of my choice. Kind of not my choice, because English is the predominant language. So never felt the need, and I'm just too lazy to learn another one. Nearly 2 billion people in the world live on less than $1.90 a day. That's considered extreme poverty. Practically all those people did not choose to be born into extreme poverty. Roughly 40% of sub-Saharan Africa lives on less than $1.90 a day. That's over 450 million people, larger than the U.S. And of those 450 million, 300 million are children. And I know they didn't choose to be born into it. Currently around the world, there are over 10 million people sitting in prisons, in jails. And it's probably, I feel like that's a really small number. But that's all I could find. I feel like it's more than that. That's what we can account for. And you can't put a number on people who currently are held captive, right? Define what that means, but we can talk about all sorts of trafficking. That's captivity. Can't put a number on that, but it's in the millions, without a doubt. And we can't put a number on the people who are brokenhearted, right? The people that, by definition, need encouragement, they need comfort, they need somebody to pick them up. That's a lot of people in the world. But these numbers reflect the marginalized people that Jesus talks about when he gives his mission statement in Luke 4. These are the people that, when Isaiah prophesied it, these are the people that he talked about. And those facts are from the world that we live in today. And it's really easy to forget that. And while I don't find myself in these situations, it seems to me, on what little experience I have seeing people in these situations, whether it's here or abroad, that it's really hard to see Jesus in, in any of those situations. It would seem like it. 
Because it's really hard to pick yourself up by your bootstraps if you don't have boots, right? And most of the time, if you're in one of those categories, you're probably in a second one too because, as you know, it's usually a compounding effect that takes place when one of these things gets hold of your life. But if our reaction to these numbers is, and I'm so guilty of this, if our reaction to this, when you read this and you hear these numbers, if my reaction is, I am so blessed, thank you, God, then I think we're missing it. I think I'm missing it if that's my reaction. And then I go and I you know, take out my, my wallet, get my debit card, and I donate some money to an organization. Or I hop on a plane and go to Kenya because if I'm honest, the first time I went, this is, that's why I went. Like, I just wanted to feel better about myself for doing something for somebody. But if all I do is go over or donate or I take a missions trip, missions trip, right, and I go to help them, if that's all I do, I've missed it. Like, I've missed it all. And the point is totally gone over my head. But when I do that, I'm making it all about me. I'm making this verse all about me. I'm making those numbers all about me. I'm making it all about me and not the, not the marginalized people that it rep, those numbers represent. And I don't want you to mishear me. Supporting the, the giving and supporting and going, that's as scriptural as it gets, and it is as rewarding as it gets. And the work, whether you're giving, whether you're going, whether you're praying, it is equally as important and equally as necessary, and I'm not trying to minimize that in the least bit. But if we find ourselves where we're saying what I just said, I think we've come to some very dangerous conclusions about Jesus. Okay, enough of me talking about that. In my trips to Kenya, I've been given an opportunity every time to see people that are in very extreme, like very extreme versions of, of Isaiah 61. God has given me opportunities to, and I also want to say this, you see, you see this stuff here too. And you have experiences with these things too. So my experience, I'm just testifying to you today. I'm not trying to make you feel what I feel. I'm just telling you what I experienced. But I get to go into orphanages and work with orphans. I get to preach in prisons. I get to preach in schools. I get to preach in, I got to preach in a police headquarters. That was bizarre. Uh, and you get to preach in a lot of schools where they want to hear it. I get to visit transition homes, special needs schools. I got to see a well dug for the first time in my life in a rural community on the Great Rift Valley, about halfway up, I think. These people had water to them is yellow. For the history of the time they've been there, water is yellow. And I actually got a text yesterday. I think in like two days, those people are going to see that water is clear. Isn't that pretty cool? I mean, stuff I can't even, if I didn't see it, it's hard for me to even understand. Yellow water, I mean, that's Gatorade. Right? And then I also get to work with some feeding programs where you get to taste, smell, feel the generational cycle of poverty that these people are stuck in. And many of you, if you've been to a country third world country especially, or you've been to some areas in the States, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a feeling that doesn't leave you. It's a smell that doesn't leave you. It just doesn't leave you. But through all these experiences, God has been faithful to reveal himself to me. And I would like to share just 
just a couple of quick stories with you. But before I do that, I want to give you a, a little background on just kind of the Kenya uh, religious demographic. It's about 50% evangelical Christians there. Like, that's what they would say. So these people have a great, like, they have a foundation of Jesus, who he is. There are a lot of lost people, but there are a lot of saved people, and there are a lot of people that love Jesus. However, along with the physical, there are a lot of spiritual needs. Like, there's a severe lack of understanding of the word. There's a severe lack of getting to have the word. I get, I, that's the, I get asked that the most. Do you have a Bible I can have? And, and uh, the answer was no. But that's what they desire the most. Anyways, moving on. There is a desperate need for those things, and I don't, the stories don't necessarily highlight that, but I want to make sure you understand that about these people. Okay, next slide. Oh, did you do that already? Man. Oh, no, sorry. Go, go back. That's been up there the whole time? That's fine. Totally fine. Shock factor's gone. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so while I'm over there, I get to work with, one of the things I get to do is work with orphans and kids in extreme poverty. And these kids, what do you notice about the pictures? The smiles, right? I don't think I've ever smiled like that. But the smile on their face. And I'm not going to talk about them a lot. I could talk about them all day, but I'm not going to talk about them a lot. But here's what I will say. These kids have endured trauma, unspeakable trauma. And I'm not going to, and you know, I'm not going to get into it, but man, stuff that you just, it's a broken world in need of Jesus. But when you see these kids, whenever you see these kids, and if I'm honest, like it kind of gets, it's a little bit, uh, not annoying, but, but kind of annoying. You know, you walk up to them and you say, hey, good morning. Praise God. How you doing? I'm great. Praise God. How'd you sleep? God is so good. I slept well. And it's, it's great, but it's kind of like, man, God this, God that. And then you catch yourself and you're like, oh my goodness. I need to be like this kid. I mean, it is. These, and they've been through stuff. And God has, brought them to a, God has brought them to a place where they can say, praise God. One kid shared a story with me and told me at the end of it, it broke me. He said, God rescued me. I got chills right now thinking about it. It was a moment. But they live each day with these smiles on their faces. Next slide. Another thing I get to do is I get to work with uh, the brokenhearted, the people that need encouragement. They need comfort. They need picking up. And you mainly get to do this when you work with feeding programs. And the, organ- the Global Connections, they are partnered with a lot of feeding programs over there, so we get to go with a lot of feeding programs. Some of them, like in this picture, these women all come and get their food. They're able-bodied. The woman on the left is able-bodied. When she takes that off her back, her body stays like that. And she got the biggest smile on her face, but she's, she's going to walk, I asked her, it was like 10 miles back to her house. And I'm not telling you that to feel bad, but I know you're going to. That's just, that's what, that's what it is. Next slide. Other food programs, we get to go visit these people in their homes. And that's powerful. And I'm sure some of you have done that. That's powerful. 
because you're seeing them in their element, right? The elderly, the disabled, where they live, in slums, people who've spent their entire lives living in an 8 by 8 shack on dirt floor with maybe a, a chair. And when I say a chair, it's usually a, like a bucket that they just sit on. Scorching heat. When I was there, it was freezing. It was the winter, so like 40 degrees at night. And they just wake up every day hoping to find something that they can sell. And they do it with a smile on their face. So happy. So happy all the time. But there's two things that stand out about the, the, food, the food programs. One, they pray like I've never prayed before. And I don't know if I ever will. The most powerful prayer I've ever been a part of was spoken by a 110-year-old woman in a hut. She was sitting on a can. She doesn't get up from it. Around a fire pit that has no fire because she didn't have you know anything to get a fire. And she prayed. I didn't understand a word of it. All in Swahili. I've never felt closer to the Lord in my life. I have no idea what she said. She could have been calling me fat for all I know. But I felt really close to the Lord in that moment. And then the second one, uh, there's a lady. She was 85 years old. Walked into her house. And she had in her, the corner of her house, she had a little uh, chair, a little cushion. I call it a house, you know what I mean? A little cushion chair. And she walked over, and she picked up the cushion, and underneath the cushion was a Bible. Pulls it out. So I'm curious, because odd place to keep a Bible. So I asked the translator to find out what's going on there. So the translator tells me she hides it there because she frequently gets broken into, because she can't defend herself. And she puts her Bible there because she, and I quote, it is the one thing she cannot live without. And then she held it up and in Swahili said, and then translated, when I am hungry, this fills me. When I am cold, this keeps me warm. You know, that'll preach anywhere. I take it for granted. And I don't know that the Bible's ever comforted me in a tangible way like that, where I've gotten warm from reading the Word, or not wanted Chick-fil-A from reading the Word. The craving is usually still there. Next slide. This is the last story I want to share with you, because this is where God got me. Man, He got me. I had the honor of meeting one man in particular on this trip, and I'm going to share a story with you. Because it was the most impactful moment of my trip. Because God humbled me in this moment. And we're going to take this back to Isaiah 61. This is James. And this is his story. James was run out of his home due to tribal uh, conflict during 2007 presidential elections. Which is very common in third world countries. When I say he was run out of his home, he ran for his life. And at some point in his life... Something happened. I, I think it was a stroke where he, he just he can't communicate. I mean, it, to hear him talk, it was, if I spoke Swahili, I would not know what he was saying. And at some point, somebody gave him, after he fled, they gave him a shack to live in rent-free, which doesn't happen over there. James has a lot of trouble walking. So he's got, this, he's got this, uh, this shack. Somebody's given him a place to stay, rent-free. And when I tell you it's out there, there's nobody remotely close to this man. 
if something happens to him or he needs help, it's not coming unless God sends it. There's nothing, there's nothing there. He's 30 minute drive from the nearest town where I was at. My point is he was alone in a way that I can't relate to in a way that I've never been alone. One day, a man named Francis, Francis runs a shut-in feeding program. Francis was, it, Francis. Francis was in town, and he saw this man trying to communicate his story to people in town, begging and pleading with them to help him because he was starving. So Francis, being the, the man that he is, keep in mind, he can't communicate very well. He can barely walk, and somehow he made a 30-minute drive when I say that, he made it by foot because that's, how, that's where he was at. He was desperate. And because of, you know, Francis, here, basically Francis hears his story, Francis goes back with him to his house, sees his conditions, gets him into the feeding program. Because of the faithfulness of France, Francis, I don't know why I'm struggling with that, because of Francis and because of the organization I went with and their partnership, I was able to go to see this guy. And when I'm going, I don't know his story. It was our last stop of the day. And some home visits just hit you a little bit different. So we're sitting in the house, and the house doesn't look too different than most houses. But Francis starts to tell us this man's story. It was the saddest, it's the saddest I've ever been in my life. It was the saddest thing I've ever heard. I was wrecked in that moment. I was broken in that moment for him. I was mad at God in that moment for him. And typically at the end of these visits, after we've kind of talked to these people, Francis will call on somebody to pray. So Francis calls on Sam. Of course, right? And I'm in no mood to pray. I ain't having it. I'm ticked. Like, I just want to go and sit in the room in a corner and just think about it. So you can't refuse a Kenyan. They get offended, so... That was our last stop. I'm like, we're going to get out of here. So I tell him, all right, I'll pray. So I begin to pray. And as I pray, I start to get more frustrated. It's not good. Like inside, it's coming. It's coming. And at some point, it hits me. James doesn't know English. James doesn't understand English. I can say whatever I want. So these words came out of my mouth. And it was not in a great tone. But I said, God, I don't see you working for this man's good. And I don't know what it was about that moment. Maybe I was worried he understood English. I don't know. Or maybe God wanted me to look up. But I, I looked up. And next slide, this is what I saw. Now, I didn't stop my prayer to take a picture. This was a picture taken while we were there. And when I looked up, that's what I, that's what I saw. has the biggest smile on his face with his hands wide open. I don't even do this here. It's uncomfortable for me. You start putting your hands up here. Whoa. Whoa. It's fine if you do it. I mean, when Mitch gets up here and tells us to raise our hands to pray over some, I mean, it's, I'm like, all right. Some people do two hands, you know. But in that moment, in the middle of that prayer, I didn't see God working for his good. 
but that's the only thing this guy sees. And it nailed me. And in that moment, God flipped the script on me in a way that you just don't forget. In that moment, I went from feeling as badly as I possibly could for any one human. Okay, I went from feeling that to envying him. In that one moment, I wanted everything he had. In that moment, I realized, God, the only thing he sees is a sovereign, loving God working all things together for his good, and here I am ticked off because he doesn't have Netflix. I mean, that's not why I was mad, but... How could someone who has nothing, no one, and no hope this side of eternity be so happy? Because he has everything that he needs. And James knows that he has everything that he needs. And at the core of this story, it's no different than the orphans and the elderly woman I talked about. They're the happiest people. They have trauma. They have baggage. They carry it with them everywhere they go, whether they want to or not. Their life is hard. A lot of them are hungry more than they're full. And they don't see a way out of their physical poverty. And they probably never will this side of eternity. And their joy is complete in Christ. And it's powerful to see. And I realized in that moment that what I want is what they have inside while having what I have outside. I want eternal without sacrificing any temporal. I want to live my best life now and my bestest life next. I know that's not a word, but go with me. They just want to live their best life next. And that's all they're looking to. The delusion was right in front of me the whole time, and God used, for all intents and purposes, a lame, mute refugee to smack me in the face, to drop me to my knees, and to humble me. And in every story I share with you, I walk away feeling the same thing. I walk away feeling sorry for these people because they lack what I deem to be uh, the essentials, the necessities of life. But in reality, I'm the one who's lacking. Their physical conditions need to be addressed, and in a lot of cases are being addressed. But their relationship with Christ is cemented, and great will be their reward. And God has been faithful to show me that, yes, they have little to nothing, but they have everything, and they know it. I'm in the 1% of this world. I don't know what the stat is that qualifies you to be in the 1%, but I'm, I feel like I'm in the 1% of this world. And these people, they are in the 1% of the kingdom. What these people hold in their heart is a complete dependence and total love for Jesus in spite of their circumstances. And I no longer feel bad for them I envy. I envy them. Do I worship God because of my circumstances or in spite of my circumstances? They may be poor, but they are rich and they know it. Their circumstances may physically bring them down, discourage them, break their hearts in a very real way that I can't, 
comprehend. But the great physician's already healed them, and they know it. They're held captive by generational cycles of poverty that won't be broken. But God has traded in their rags for riches. They are kings and queens, and they know it. The ultimate comforter is with them every day, every step of the way, and they know it. And they live like it. And they continually worship him for those things. Their best life is waiting for them, and they know it. So the question is, do I? Which brings me back, uh, next slide, to Isaiah 61. Where do you see yourself in this? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I came to the conclusion that God sent me to Kenya, not so I could live out the mission of Jesus to them, but so that they could live out the mission of Jesus to me. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon them, because the Lord has anointed them to dot, 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 show me that I too am poor, that I too am brokenhearted, that I'm a captive, that I'm a prisoner. It just looks different. It disguises itself much better here. And in a sense, my situation, maybe you relate to that. If you do, our situation, it's, it's more desperate because we don't even see it. I don't. I'm distracted. I, I physically don't need saving. After this, I'm going to get in my truck, turn on my AC, I'm going to go home, cook some food, and who knows what, right? Like, my life is good. Believer or not. My life rocks. If facts came out tomorrow that Jesus wasn't real, which, I mean, just go with me. I'm not, Jesus is not real. The Bible's, my life doesn't look too much different. And that, that convicted me. And although I don't always see it, I'm in desperate need, like everyone else, of the only name under heaven by which we must be saved. Before I left Kenya, I shared some of my thoughts with a Kenyan pastor. That was your cue. Yep. But we actually talked about that one, so that's on him. Um, before I left Kenya, I shared some of my thoughts with a Kenyan pastor. Unbelievable man. He's been to America a few times. He understands this Western mentality that we have. And right before I left, I was sharing with him some of the things that were going through my mind. And I threw out these questions to him. I said, man, I just walk around and I think, Lord, why them? Not me. Why was I born here and they were born there? And I say, I don't see God working for their good. How can God let poverty like this exist to 300 million kids? And this guy looks at me and he says, Sam, I ask myself that same question every time I come to America. I was humbled again, right in the face. Didn't see that one coming at all. And he told me, he said, I don't see how you see Jesus through all the noise. And he's got a point, right? The last, uh, sorry, the last slide. I may have called Jeff here a tad bit earlier. My apologies. Um, this is the good news, right? Right here. 
The good news is that God is for us, that his desire is for us, that he wants us, so that he can what? Give us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Why? Next slide. That we may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God is the cause, right? God is the source. He is the vine. We are the branches. He will be faithful to show himself to us because his desire is for us to be oaks as a result of his planting. And any planting that the Lord does, don't you know, 100% of the time glorifies himself and not, not me, not you. For from him and through him and to him are all things. I don't know what you do with this. I don't have the answers, and I'm happy to tell you that. I'm still figuring this out. I wish I had them, but I'm still figuring it out. And praise God, in spite of me and in spite of you, he will always have us in that process. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you for making all things new, for drawing us back to you. for loving us in spite of us. God, thank you for using the things that we deem to be the least of these to bring us to our knees. God, thank you for your global church and the work that you're doing all over the world. Thank you for allowing us to play a part in it. Whether we're here or whether we're there or anywhere, we pray that you continue to glorify yourself and draw us back uh, to you. And God, that you'll do whatever it takes for every person in this room to get our attention. You'll do whatever it takes to get us where we can hear you, where we can see you and what we read, and that we'll be able to act on it and obey and trust and follow. Lord, we ask all these things through your Son's name, Jesus, trusting and believing.